The fog continues to roll in. The dark of night deepens until all is black. Ahead, a rocky shoal beckons where certain tragedy awaits. Your ship plows forward, pushed by the storm. Just as your hope begins to subside, you see it. The light from the lighthouse that guides you to safety, faithfully kept by the lightkeeper. Hi friends, welcome to Lessons from the Lightkeeper, a special series on the Ed Leader Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Jackson. It's hard to believe that this is the seventh episode of this special leadership development series. As I've had the opportunity to read and reflect on your feedback, I've been blown away by your enthusiasm around this series. I would certainly want to highlight for each of you the feedback that's being shared. You can see quite a bit of that feedback on the EdLeader Podcast Twitter account at EdLeaderPod. As I've shared on each episode, There's a lot of darkness in the world. Now, I'm not being philosophical or religious or esoteric. The darkness I'm referring to is fear, stress, anxiety, and negativity. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. It takes light to push away that fear and stress and anxiety and negativity. The light... That comes from our schools, a light of strength, of safety, of care, and of hope. You, my friends, Ed Leaders All, are the light keepers, keeping that light coming from our schoolhouses shining brightly into the lives of our students and their parents and families and the community, saying, here is a safe place. Here is a great neighbor, a great partner, someone who makes sure that children are being fed and being nurtured and are receiving a top quality education, even in the midst of a pandemic. Thank you again for tuning in to Lessons from the Lightkeeper. Today's lesson continues to build on the previous lessons. You'll remember that in the first lesson, we talked about the light being lit by our beliefs, our beliefs in children and each other. The light's energized by our passion. That's where the energy comes from that keeps us doing this work day after day. Initiative activates the light, hits the switch, and gets it going for each of us as we take the first step of the journey. Focus directs the light. Last week, we talked about preparation positioning the light. All that we do to be prepared for the moment when the moment arrives positions the light to ensure it's shining where it needs to be. Today, the lesson from the Light Keeper is practice centers the light. Last week, we talked about preparation positions the light. Today, we're talking about practice centers the light. For me, as I consider those and reflect on them, I think about focusing a camera. When I first begin to focus for a picture, I move the lens very quickly, bringing it into almost full focus, and then I begin to move very slightly to bring it into perfect focus. And so for me, I see that preparation really positioning it to light generally and the practice centering it perfectly exactly where it needs to be. Marcus Luttrell says, You play like you practice and practice how you play. 
Ray Bradbury says, I know you've heard it a thousand times before, but it's true. Hard work pays off. If you want to be good, you have to practice, practice, practice. If you don't love something, then don't do it. But if you do love it, practice, practice, practice. Ivan Lindell said, if I don't practice the way I should, then I won't play the way that I know I can. And Joyce Meyer says, the way anything is developed is through practice, 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 and more practice. And by the way, that was a direct quote, and I was making sure I said it exactly as she wrote it. Practice, my friends, is incredibly important for us to be able to really do the work that we're called to do in a meaningful way, in a way that is most impactful, in a way that truly meets the needs. And those needs are great. And so the practice is certainly worth every bit of time we put into that. As you know, this leadership series is based on the book, Talent is Never Enough by John Maxwell. As he talks about practice, he talks about that we achieve at the level at which we practice. Consistently good practice, he says, leads to consistently good achievement. Successful people value practice and develop the discipline to do it. If you want to sum up what lifts most successful individuals above the crowd, he says you could do it with four little words, a little bit more. Successful people pay their dues, and paying their dues is the practice, and they do all that's expected of them, plus a little bit more. That practice centers the light. My youngest son, his name is Elijah. He's someone who absolutely loves the game of basketball. Now, to look at him, particularly when he was in middle school, you wouldn't have said, wow, there's a basketball player. If you spoke to him for a moment, you would have realized very quickly he was passionate about basketball, though. He poured himself into practicing basketball, becoming what's termed as a gym rat. In high school, his coach told me as he pulled me to the side one night, I've never had a player who practices as hard as Eli, the coach called him. Practice gave Elijah the ability to maximize his capacity for playing basketball, and he wound up being the sixth man on his varsity team and helping to lead the team the furthest they'd been in the playoffs in over 20 years his senior year. He had reached, though, the level of his capacity as a high school player. Off he went to college. He was blessed to be able to take advantage of an academic opportunity at the University of Tennessee at Knoxville and began an incredible career there. During his first semester, he gave me a call. Frequent listeners to the podcast know that at that time, I was serving as the superintendent in Edenton. He called me in Edenton and he said, Dad, I made the basketball team. Now, Elijah was a student at the University of Tennessee at Knoxville, a Division I school. And on the phone, he's telling me that he just made the basketball team. Now, I know he loves basketball, and I asked him about that. I said, son, what do you mean you made the team? Thinking maybe he was talking about an intramural team or some sort of other team. And he said, Dad, I made the basketball team. They sent out an email to all the students and said, if... You were a varsity basketball player in high school. You could attend the tryouts for the basketball team. And unbeknownst to me, he showed up at tryouts. 
he worked really hard at tryouts, and he was selected for the team. You can imagine the pride I felt as a dad in that moment as my son was telling me he made the basketball team at the University of Tennessee. I began to talk to him with great excitement. Edenton is about eight and a half hours from Knoxville, knowing I would have to plan carefully my schedule because my intention was to be at every single one of his games I could possibly attend. And so I said to him, Elijah, you'll need to send me the schedule very quickly so I can work on my own travel schedule because I'll be there for you. And he said, Dad, you don't understand. I'm not going to be able to play. And I paused for a moment, and then I responded, as you might expect me to as a dad. I said, well, buddy, don't worry about that. I, I will be there. I'll be cheering you on no matter where you are on the bench. I'm there for you. I will be cheering you on and the entire team on. And he said, well, Dad, I won't be on the bench. Now, this did cause me to question a bit. I said, well, you're, you're not going to be on the bench, and you're not going to play, but you made the team? And he said, Dad, I made the girls' team. Now, in that moment, I had a whole lot of questions and began to ask them. I said, what do you mean you made the girls' team? And he went on to share with me something that I didn't know and, in fact, that probably very few people know. Major Division One women's basketball teams at the collegiate level typically have an all-male practice squad. And the reason for that is they want to play the very best team they can in practice so that when they get onto the court to play the games that matter, they're able to achieve at the greatest possible level. They understand how very important practice is. And so my son Elijah, for the four years he attended the University of Tennessee prior to graduating, was on the practice squad for the Lady Vols. He would go to practice early in the morning, be assigned a role. Today, you're number 10. She shoots the ball every time she touches it. Today, you're number 22. She never shoots the ball. She passes it inside every time. Today, you're number 13. Always drive to the left. His job was to help the team be prepared by forcing them to practice as hard as possible. It absolutely illustrates this point around the importance of practice. There's a gentleman, a coach, Tom Mullins, who wrote a book called The Leadership Game. In his book, he shares principles from eight college national champion football coaches. And he says that all the national champion coaches told him that the key to going from good to great came in two areas. One, the preparation of the team, and two, the practice of the players. They were forever upgrading their preparation and sharpening their practices. Preparation and practice together helped these college football teams lead their teams to national championships. Practice centers the light. Rochelle Goodrich wrote a book called Smile Anyway. In the book, she says, do it again. Play it again. Sing it again. Read it again. Write it again. Sketch it again. Rehearse it again. Run it again. Try it again. Because again is practice, and practice is improvement, and improvement only leads to perfection. Practice centers the light. Now, we're ed leaders. 
When I think of practice, it's easy to think about athletics, perhaps, or an artist, a musician, a painter who may practice their craft. But as ed leaders, we need to practice as well. In last week's episode about preparation, I talked about practicing speaking through talking to the windshield as I was driving to meetings. That practice helps me be prepared as an ed leader for when those moments come up that I'm expected to speak. But practice is also practicing being a good listener, such a crucial skill for all leaders, but particularly ed leaders. Practicing our writing, being very clear and concise, ensuring that as we write, we're communicating the message we want to communicate. Practice leads to achievement. John Maxwell says there's three things we need to know about practice. First, he says, practice enables development. When we practice, it keeps making us better than we were yesterday. If we don't practice, though, we're shortchanging our potential. And in the work we do, where every moment counts for our children, particularly during a pandemic, when we don't practice, we're not only shortchanging our own potential, we're shortchanging the potential of our students because we're not at the top of our game. Practice, he says, leads to discovery. If we commit ourselves to practice, there's a few things we're likely to learn. One, practice helps us build commitment. The more we spend trying to grow our skills, the more we're committed to the work of growing our skills. It also shows us that our performance can be improved. When we do take the time to practice, we quickly realize, wow, I'm able to do this better than I thought I could. And it leads us to want to practice more because we see the results. The third thing is practice demands discipline. Developing that discipline can be a struggle, particularly at first, but it's absolutely worth it when we see the outcome and what we're able to accomplish. Aristotle observed, excellence is an art won by training and habituation. He says, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a habit, a habit of practice a habit of continuing to push ourselves. For us to really maximize practice, it takes just what I started with, those four little words. It takes a little more effort. It takes a little more time. It takes a little more help by reaching out to mentors and those whose wisdom guides us as we grow. And it takes a little more change. Max Dupree says we cannot become what we need to be by remaining what we are. Practice centers the light. Anne Voskamp, the author of 1,000 Gifts, A Dare to Live Fully Right Where You Are, says practice is the hardest part of learning. As ed leaders, learning is our business. Practice allows us to improve all that we do so that we're there for our children. My friends, keep shining the light. Thank you for listening to the Ed Leader Podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast and consider leaving a review with five stars on Apple Podcasts so that we may continue to grow the Ed Leader community. We hope that you have enjoyed your time with Dr. Jackson. 
Until next time.